How's everybody doing? Yes, thank you. It's good to be together. It's good to worship together. And uh, we're going to dive into scripture. We're going to be reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1 to 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can open that. Open your Bibles to that passage, or you can read with us on the screen. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather and to come under the authority of your word. Lord, we want, to, we want and we desperately need for you to speak to us. Lord, we need to hear your voice. We pray you would illuminate your scriptures to us. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus. Speak to us. Cause our hearts and minds to understand what you're saying to us from your word. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There was a business book that was written many years ago. Um, actually, I, sh I didn't have time to research how long ago it was. But I remember coming across it when I was a teenager, and it was actually a very revolutionary book. Um, perhaps you have read it uh, or heard of it. The book was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I see some nods. Um, the book was uh, also frustrating because it's like next to impossible to apply what it says perfectly. It's very idealized. It's like, you don't live in New York, man. And so... Um, but there's this one principle that, they, that the book talks about that I feel is a really powerful principle. And actually, I think it's in, in many ways something that informed the first followers of Jesus and something that actually informs us today, especially in light of what we're talking about during this series. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. And we've talked about the fact that when Jesus used that phrase, he wasn't referring to a celestial place, the afterlife, eternity, but actually what he was referring to was his rule and reign. That when he talked about the kingdom of God, he was referring to him as king having influence and reign over situations, over people, over society. And, and when you think about that, what it merges is that there are situations in our world where Jesus has rule, has reign directly that we could see, and there's situations in our world and our life that are aching for his rule and his reign. But the principle that I'm referring to in this book 
is the principle of begin with the end in mind. If you read the book, you know what he's referring to. He actually uh, invites people into a pretty uh, intense mental exercise. The exercise is imagine your own funeral. Imagine people filling a room to honor your life. And someone steps up and begins to deliver the eulogy. And the the exercise is, what would you hope they would say about your life? And so it's a really intense exercise. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about the fact that our lives are but a vapor. um, And that uh, even the longest life on earth is a small moment in light of eternity. Um, and we don't want to think about the fact that we're, we're all on a steady trajectory toward one day exiting this life. That we're having a, we're eternal beings having a temporary human existence. That we are made for eternity and one day we exit out of this aspect of life But beginning with the end in mind, the reason why that's a powerful exercise is because it allows you to think and say, if right now I'm living in a way that what I want to be said of me won't be said of me, what do I need to change? Or if I'm living in a way that I'm actually glad about where I'm heading, then how could I continue in that way? And then whatever changes you have to make, it's in light of the end. What do I want my life to be lived for? I have to back up and then make that a reality now. Why I think that's a a really interesting thing to think about in light of this series because the verses that we just read, Revelation 21, it describes the trajectory of history. It describes what all of this is aiming toward. Everything that Jesus has done and has initiated through his death, burial, life, resurrection, the spirit of God coming into our lives and making us alive and empowering us to follow him and and leading us to live as he desires us to live in this world. It's all aiming toward what we have heard described in Revelation 21 by the apostle John That the culmination of all of this is that there is a a time in the future where we're, we're promised that a new heaven, a new earth will be our reality. And in this new heaven, in this new earth, we're told there's no pain, there's no, there's no uh, suffering anymore, there's no death, that the brokenness of life has been completely revoked and broken. And now there's, we're in the presence of God every single moment of our existence. Revelation actually says there's no need for light in this new city because the light of the face of God illuminates everything. This is what we're told we're heading toward. And why that's a powerful description of the kingdom of God and its relevance to us is that it tells us that the future that Jesus is pulling us toward is a future where humanity is no longer impacted by our sinful rebellion, that the destructive results of sin are no longer in our lives. And in this moment, we're given a picture 
of what the earth was intended to be like if humanity never broke God's commandments. It was intended to be the way it's described. No death, no crying, no mourning, no pain. But here's the good news for us. This may sound like a distant hope, like something that we cling to in the by and by. But actually, if we're picking up on what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of God and what we've been looking at, it's actually not some distant hope. It's here now. Jesus taught us to pray that the kingdom would come, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. His first message, his very first sermon he preached, he said the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God is at hand, which means it's accessible, it's in arm's reach, it's here. And one of the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry to demonstrate that the rule and reign of God was present and accessible was healing miracles. Every time Jesus performed the healing miracle, it was a statement that the kingdom of God is here. That the future kingdom where there's no suffering, no pain, no no destruction, bodies are not wasting away. Every time Jesus healed, it was a statement that declared what was to come and look look at it right now. One one scholar talked about that every time you see a miracle that Jesus did, it was an instance of us seeing Jesus undoing the fall. Every time he healed, every time he restored. But if you're following the narrative of scripture, you realize that all of that didn't get wrapped up in Jesus. And when he ascended, that's when it ended. Actually, what we see in scripture is that him ascending leaving earth and being seated at the right hand of God initiated a, 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 another reality, another layer to the kingdom of God being present now. And that was that the Holy Spirit would be given to the people of God. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 25 of chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What Jesus is essentially setting up is that as he ascends... And he sends the Spirit, and he gives the Holy Spirit to believers like you and I, people who have uh, professed his lordship over our lives. You know what he's created you and I to be? He's made us to be very similar to ambassadors. 
we now are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Let me break that down. Do you know that ambassadors can't get tickets? They can park wherever they want. Uh, that an ambassador, if they break the law, you can't arrest them the same way you could arrest someone else. Because that person isn't just an individual like you and I. They literally represent an entire government, a kingdom, a sovereign entity. And they are here in New York and other places where there's a lot of uh, um, ambassadors and embassies. They are here representing the authority of their sending government. And so what Jesus has set us up to be is that now through the Holy Spirit, you and I are representatives of his rule and his reign, his kingdom here on earth. And we live as those representatives. We are here on behalf of the king. We don't live just for ourselves. We don't live unto ourselves. We are here on behalf of the king. And he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to testify, to declare witness to his reality. And one of the ways that he does that is through healing, physical healings. And these miracles that we read that not only Jesus did, but his followers did as well. And when I say his followers, I'm not just talking about his followers in scripture. I'm talking about his followers in this room, his followers in gatherings in Mumbai, in South Korea, in, in, the, in the Midwest, everywhere there are people that are calling on the name of Jesus and professing him to be his Lord. These people, you and I, collectively, Throughout time, any disciple of Jesus has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus empowering them to give witness to the kingdom of God. And one of the ways that we give witness to the kingdom of God is by praying for the sick and believing God to do miraculous things. Healing the sick and seeing what only God could do. Look at what Jesus says as he was empowering his disciples. Luke 24, verse 49, he tells them, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice Jesus describes you and I receiving the Holy Spirit as an experience of being empowered. Now that's a key thing to factor in because sadly many followers of Jesus, if we're honest, we're bored with our Christianity. It doesn't arrest our imagination. It doesn't excite us. It doesn't consume us. It doesn't get us up. It doesn't, it, it doesn't pull us through. It doesn't, it, like, give us expectation. And yet Jesus is saying 
that one of the things that should be active in your life and mine as a result of the Holy Spirit being given to us is that we live an empowered life. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to give witness to Jesus. And one of the ways that you and I get to witness to the reality of Jesus is by praying for the sick and believing that the kingdom of God will be realized in their bodies and that we will see a glimpse of what's to come now. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus has called you and me, but not just me, he's called you and me. This is not something that he's just called pastors to do. He's called every single follower, every single disciple. He's empowered us to do this simple thing. Pray for the sick as Jesus did and watch miracles happen. I want you to take note of something. How many took note this morning that there were several words about physical healing? If you've been here many weeks in a row, you know that that's not always the case. Now, here's the cool thing. They didn't know that I was preaching on this. Had no idea. And so as we're walking into the room and we're hearing and sensing God, I was very encouraged because this message, I was planning on preaching it next week. And yet I felt, no, preach it this week. Why did I mention that? Because this is another thing that maybe uh, you're like, for some of us, when we give the words, I can read body language. Some of you are like, I love this church, but this moment makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> can, hope it's not a lot of words. Let's just get through it. I get it. I love y'all, and thank you for enduring it. But here, here's one thing I need you to be aware of. We're not just pulling this out of thin air. We're not just saying, you know what? Let's just be weird, you know, for the sake of being weird and give re people reasons to feel weird. You know where we get this? We get this from Scripture. Look at what 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 says. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. One of the things that should be true of our worship is that when we gather together, there is this mysterious, uncontrollable, you can't force or fathom and, and create this if you wanted to, aspect of God being present. Like, you know, churches, a lot of churches, they use this thing called planning center. Uh, it's like this really detailed schedule of like, at this time, someone should greet, at this time, introduction, at this time, five songs, at this time. You can't schedule that and just say, at this time, people who didn't talk to each other are going to show up, they're going to pray, and out of nowhere, all about it, everybody's going to say, looks like God wants to heal people today. And the message is about healing. But why doesn't that surprise me? Because scripture tells us, it clues us in that this is an aspect of the life of the people of God, empowered supernaturally. But specifically, let me draw your attention to one aspect of this supernatural reality of the kingdom of God being present now, us being empowered to witness it around healing. 
James chapter 5, verse 13 to 15, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What we're being told by James, who wrote this letter to churches throughout Asia, is that praying for the sick should be a normal part of the life of a local church. Praying and believing that God can heal, that God does heal, that he's present in these ways should be as natural as we read as, as praying for someone who needs to be encouraged, praying for someone who needs some joy or cheer, they're struggling through something. Praying for the sick should feel that effortless and that natural to our life together as followers of Jesus. You see, what these verses tell us is that churches were instructed to pray for the sick not merely as an act of love and pastoral care, but they were to pray for the sick in faith that they would be healed. It's a big difference. Have you ever had someone pray for you and it felt half-hearted? It's like, I don't even know. You're like, do you want what you're praying for for me? And like, it doesn't feel that way. I can't judge your heart, but I'm not feeling encouraged in my faith versus when someone prays for you, you're like, I think they want this for me more than I want it for me. You know, like they they're, they're, they were being instructed to pray with a sense of expectation that God would heal the sick. So why are we talking about this? Why do we as a church try to create space for the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do? It's not because we're trying to be extra or different. We're really just trying to be as faithful to Scripture we are trying our best to not ignore what we see in Scripture. And that's why we're committed to these practices. That's why we pray for the sick. That's why we believe that God speaks. Because in order to not do that, in order to, to be a church that doesn't lean into those things, would require us to stare at a lot of Scripture and say, not for today. You know, when I first came to Christ, I was 14 years old, and the guy who led me to Christ, he taught me to read the Bible in a way that I'm still very grateful for to this day. Because uh, since that time, I've been in seminary classes and around professors and different traditions, and I realized that not everybody reads the Bible the way he taught me to read the Bible. Some people read the Bible as if it's like this really amazing historical reference, and it's beautiful, and it's incredible, and it does have a powerful message, and it reveals Jesus, but there's so many things here that are not supposed to be part of our lived reality now. It's almost like, wow, God did that. But now, as we follow him, we follow him as logical, cerebral, westernized people. No room for mystery, no room for wonder, no room for supernatural things that human beings can't control. And yet the way this guy taught me to read the Bible, he was a high school dropout. Eventually got his GED, went to college. He pastors a church now. But at that time, he was a teenager. He was a few years older than I was. 
but he taught us how to read the Bible as if it was a menu at a restaurant. Where when we read things like, you can have that. You can believe for that. You can do that. So at the age of 14, he had us in the streets praying for the sick in the streets. Preaching Jesus, preaching about Jesus on subway trains as teenagers during our school breaks. We read about fasting at the age of 14. He had us fasting for like three days straight in his basement. Man, it was gangster. I'll tell you, <laughs> never forget that experience. My mother thought I joined a cult. <laughs> you are right. I don't know. Maybe I want you to go back to the streets <laughs> and sell drugs. That made more sense. Uh, like, it was, it was amazing. And honestly, from that childlike faith, I remember amazing things happened just through that simple posture of faith. A friend of mine, I remember he had Lyme disease. He got bit by a tick, and his elbow was locked as a result. And that, I always wondered, what was his living conditions like, that there was a tick in his house? That's stuff that happens in, in, like, in the wilderness, you know? It's like... Man, the hood is the hood. And, and I remember praying for him, laid hands on him, and in the name of Jesus, he was an unbeliever, didn't go to church, in the name of Jesus said, stretch your hand out. And he began to stretch his hand out. And I remember he had very big eyes, naturally, and they got bigger. It was like, oh. And I was able to lead him to Christ at that moment because the reality of the kingdom and reign of God. I was a teenager. Fast forward, my mom, she used to suffer from really... Bad ulcers, that was funny. Really bad ulcers and uh, incredible pain. And as a result, she would have to take tons of medicine every single night. And I remember as a teenager, again, reading the simplicity of Jesus calls us to pray for the sick and say, hey, mom, can I pray for you? And she said, sure. And she had so little faith that God was going to do anything. She just appeased me. She literally fell asleep on me as I was starting to pray. I was like, she is snoring right now. This is unbelievable. I continued to pray, and as I prayed, I remember laying hands on the place where she said she had pain, and she screamed. And it was so disorienting. I'm like, I'm being yelled at. I'm praying. What's going on right now? And she was like, why would you do that? I was like, what? She was like, you put an iron on me that burned. What? I was like, mom, there's no iron. She looked around investigating to see if there was an iron nearby. She thought I legit burned her. It, the, the Holy Spirit healed her at that moment. She never had to take ulcer medicine from that moment on. Shortly after, she professed faith in Christ. I, 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 I could literally keep you here for days and days and days telling you stories of God doing some amazing things. There was a little boy in Mexico. He had flat feet. His grandmother uh, asked us to pray for him, and we saw right before our eyes, God created an arch. This kid in Pittsburgh, I remember, I think I might have been like 26, 27 at most. Um, he couldn't see from one eye, and so he wore glasses to protect his only good eye. And we prayed for him, and he read for the first time in his life out of the eye he couldn't see. And these stories don't just begin and end with me. There are so many people in this church that you could pull aside and they could tell you story after story after story of the kingdom of God breaking through and seeing healings happened. 
But here's the full reality we have to wrestle with. When Jesus said his kingdom was here, he also described it as not fully here yet. It's already here, but there's more to come. And as a result of that, and this is a hard thing to wrestle with, the reality will be, has been, and will be, that not everyone will be healed. Even though the Bible teaches us to pray for the the sick and tells us to expect them to be healed, not everyone is healed. And this produces a natural tension of faith for us. I love uh, Douglas Bannister in in his book, The Word and Power Church, What Happens When a Church Seeks All God Has to Offer. He had this quote. He said, even the mighty apostles did not see every healing prayer answered with a dramatic yes. Paul left uh, Trophimus sick in Miletus. Paul told Timothy to take some wine for his stomach problems and frequent illnesses. Even Paul himself appears to not have been supernaturally healed from the ailment he alludes to in his letter to the Galatians. Suffering is an inevitable part of life on a fallen planet. Our broken world is described as groaning and in bondage to decay. Jesus did not heal every ailing person he encountered, and neither will we. Churches that celebrate divine healing from suffering must also celebrate divine endurance in suffering. The kingdom is here. It's already here, but not fully. And what that means is that we will see extraordinary acts of God's power, but we also see People experience unanswered prayers and continue to have to endure through suffering. What that means for us is this. With all the energy of our souls, we strive to be biblical and leave the results up to God. All we can do is what he tells us to do. The results are on him. And I remember hearing this story of this guy who was a mentor to a friend of mine, and he saw many, many healing miracles in his lifetime, incredible healing miracles. And he had this moment where he was really wrestling with God over the fact that people weren't healed. Why, ha- why wasn't this person healed or that person healed? And he shared he had this moment in prayer with God where the Lord convicted him and said, they're not healed because you would take the glory if they were. And he said, no, I wouldn't. I said, then why do you feel responsible for them not being healed? The results are up to God. We can't control that. All we can do is be faithful. And and this is so painful that many churches and Christians have just chose to just abdicate this and say, I'd rather not have the experience of praying for someone and not seeing them healed so <laughs> just going to discard that completely. But that would be the equivalent of saying, when we feed the poor, not all of them come to Christ, so we're just not going to feed the poor. You know, or, or when, we, when we fight for justice, not every change happens, so we're going to stop fighting for justice. No, we do what we're called to do. The results are up to God. And so in our church, this is why we're trying to pursue this kind of ministry But we want to be clear from the outset. Our desire 
Our aim is to be faithful to Scripture because Scripture tells us to pray for the sick, to believe that the kingdom is here. And we're going to continue to do so, believing, trusting, but always reminding ourselves that the results are up to God. As we close, as the worship team comes forward, here's what I, I really felt like that this message needed to land in kind of this place where for each of us, we would recognize that you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways you live out that empowerment is to pray for the sick. What does that look like when someone in your life tells you of a medical situation, a report from the doctor, whatever that is, that our first reaction over time should be cultivated to say, let's pray. Let's believe. I know that's what the doctor said, and we're not dismissive of doctors. We're grateful, but doctors are human beings. They get it wrong too. Let's pray. Let's go to the great physician, and let's believe that he can heal, and let's also believe that he'll give you grace to endure, that he can do both. What would that look like in your life and mine to just simply put ourselves in that believing posture? I want to tell you what it could look like. It could look like your neighbor experiencing the reality of Jesus over just seeing them in the morning. They share something. You pray with them, and God does something that only he could do. It could look like people at your job, your family members, experiencing the reality of God through your humble, simple faith. It could also look like people not getting healed, but at that moment saying, this follower of Jesus loved me enough to care for me, to pray for me, to want my good. Man, I should find out more about this Jesus. You know what this could look like? It could look like you and I no longer settling into boring Christianity. You know, throughout your week, no matter what you're going through, you, empowered by God, could be in the middle of some really supernatural things, testifying to the reality of the kingdom of God. Most of the stories I intentionally chose to share were stories when I was a teenager where I barely knew anything. I want to pop the bubble in that false idea that says that you have to be some sophisticated theologian to do anything of note for God. Are you a believer? Have you given your life to Christ? Is he Lord? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? You got what you need. You don't need anything beyond that. If you're waiting for pastoral permission, you have it. Go and pray for the sick. Go and believe for the miraculous to happen. Go and trust that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's accessible. And let's go and be fools for Christ in this world. Trusting him with the results. Could I invite us to stand? If you're sick in your body today, if you need healing, I want to encourage you to go to the back, 
and to receive prayer today for the words that were shared or anything that you need prayer for. The prayer team is in the back and they would love to pray with you. But maybe you're not sick, but maybe you feel stirred in your spirit today. Say, I wanna be the type of follower of Jesus that believes that the kingdom of God is at hand, that says yes to this invitation, that I wanna pray, I wanna believe, I wanna, I wanna enter into that, and you, and you need some encouragement. I encourage you to go and receive prayer if that's where your heart is at. Say, I want to leave here and put this in practice and not just shelve this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing as we're wrapping our minds and hearts around the reality of your kingdom. It's here, but it's not fully here. And we long for its full arrival. But till then, help us to believe what you tell us to believe to do what you tell us to do and to trust you with the results. Let's worship God together.